This episode is brought to you by CapZ and Rick's Eyewear. Speaking of Rick's Eyewear, there's a huge announcement on the website. It's Black Friday and Cyber Monday sale, ladies and gentlemen. And do Rick's Eyewear have you covered? They just dropped their brand new New York collection. Funny that, funny that, because we just spoke to Eric Decker from the New York Jets. These are the best sunglasses in the world. Italian Mazzucchelli acetate, German-engineered hinges, and the best lenses in the world. Whether you're going to the beach, or you're on the streets, or you're in your car heading to the bar, these are what you need this summer. So check them out, www.rickseyewear.com.au. Enjoy the show. Eric Decker, one of the greatest humans alive, one of the best-looking humans alive, and some amazing stories I can't wait to share with you. Well, first of all, um, Dex, welcome to Tommy Talks. It's an absolute honor, privilege. Um, for everyone out there that doesn't know Dex, they must be sleeping under a rock. I'll give you a quick wrap-up. This is, this is your career in a nutshell. Eight years of NFL, 439 receptions, 5,812, sorry, 16 yards, and 53 touchdowns, which, man, you're a touchdown machine. You've had a reality TV show. You've played with the sheriff and many others. Um, you've uh, you've you're married to you know the world's best country pop singer, and you've got three kids, beautiful kids, your ultimate family man, good-looking rooster, and now you're on Tommy Talks, brother. Welcome to the show. Tommy, good to good to be here, man. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's good to see your face. I know that's what I as I was doing all this. I uh, the last time we caught up was. At a nice sushi place in 2017 in Nashville, I think when I think about that, it's like four years ago. That's bizarre, man. Time has flown by. It is it is a while, especially COVID too, I think just made things, I guess, feel longer in the sense of, you know, uh, being away from, I mean, obviously we're countries and oceans away, but being away from friends, even in the area, and, and COVID kind of restricting that. It's just been, it's been awesome to finally kind of get back and, and have some FaceTime and, 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 you know, share a beer, some sushi, and we need to do it again soon. I know, I know. I, uh, I can't wait. I'm, I want to get back to the States really quickly. It's, I, think we can, I think we can come back to um, the States and don't have to quarantine in Melbourne. So I might be a chance for Super Bowl and then sneak over. You don't know, mate. But, um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. I've been... I've been promoting uh, yourself and everyone else in the sport since we met. And, um, mate, since, uh, first of all, I want to apologize about the Ravens, but since you've retired, <laughs> dude, since you've retired, like, I didn't have any teams. So then I started watching Lamar Jackson. I've fallen in love with Lamar Jackson. So, what I will say, though, if you've got any Denver tops lying around or anything, any old ones, I want to get my hands on one. I can't, I don't know where to buy one. So, um, yeah, I'll send you one. Yeah, that'd be. Dude, that'd be epic because I want I want a Denver one. Um, well, let's get into it, mate. There's so much to there's so much to get through. So, I uh, I'm really excited. I'm pumped. Let's start with with college. Like you you grew up in University of Minnesota. What was that like? Yeah, so Minnesota was uh, was a great place to grow up, um, but a place that I necessarily don't want to go back to because it's very cold. A lot of a lot of months of of cold and and uh, you know, suiting up in the in the thick jackets, scraping your car of ice. Um, but I would say that, you know, a lot of my family's still there. Uh, my grandparents were farmers. Um, so kind of like a German-Irish background 
farming community. Uh, and I just had a lot of great memories. I grew up in a very small town, 3,000 people. And so, you know, it was a very tight-knit community. Everyone was kind of there for each other. Um, and, and I think really that created a lot of the values that I have today um, and the appreciation that I have just for family life and, you know, being a part of a community. Um, and then I went to college in Minnesota, so I got to spend many, many years in Minnesota till I finally got out. You did, you did. And what I didn't realize until doing all my research, mate, um, it's been thorough, by the way, uh, is that you were good at baseball. You're a superstar at baseball as well. So you played baseball and footy through college. I did, yeah. So I, baseball was my first passion, actually. I grew up a Minnesota Twins fan, so uh, MLB here in the States. During the late 80s, early 90s, the Twins were a pretty good dynasty in that sense. And uh, Kirby Puckett was my favorite player growing up. I, I had his jersey, probably worked to school every day for like four months straight. Not sure if I watched it or not, but um, that was what I loved. We had an amateur baseball team in our community. And that's where, honestly, I went in the summers every night. I ball shagged, did the scoreboard, bat boy, just wanted to be around it. And I think that, to me, was kind of like infusing myself in the sport and watching older kids play it. Uh, a lot of my friends would join up and we'd play games uh, during, during the game as well. And so baseball was a big part of my upbringing and uh, I, I loved it. And so I think I played it through high school, I also played basketball, but baseball didn't give me the same opportunities as football in college in terms of scholarships um, and kind of getting away in that sense. And so I went to Minnesota to play football, ended up joining the baseball team two years later um, due to our coach being fired at that time and really seeing the opportunity that, hey, I can move over and, and, and try to get in while uh, there's no head coach for football. Yeah, right. So that how do you how do you juggle um, how do you juggle both of them at the same time? It was extremely hard uh, my second year. So we had a pretty good baseball team. So this is was kind of my my schedule was uh, I, I did summer school, so I was always on campus working out, doing school really year round. Besides Christmas break was really the only time I got away. And so football started mid June. We would train till August, which was training camp, and then start the games. And we'd go through really January because we'd play in a bowl game. So our season would end in November, have Thanksgiving, Christmas, um, and then we'd play a bowl game. Then I'd take probably a week or 10 days off, depending on how my body felt, and get into yeah. baseball. And so then baseball went from top of January through June because we would be playing in kind of the playoff or regionals uh, of college college baseball and so there was one point where I just was so burnt out emotionally physically just because I mean I never had a break um, to be 20 and I actually got hurt my senior year of football and I think it was kind of like the world or God's view saying like all right here's your time to like take some time off and get away from it because otherwise I wouldn't have had that going into the combine NFL draft yeah. And so I think it was a good step back realization that, okay, center yourself, uh, get yourself in a good place mentally because you got a career ahead of you. Yeah, spot on, spot on. And not only did you, um, you know, take your sport seriously, but you're a switched on unit and you uh, were studying business while you're at college. So you're doing it all um, whilst you're quite young. 
Yeah, it was it was a great uh, opportunity. Just you know, and like you said, having Minnesota is a good business school, but to to really, I went three and a half years, got to graduate, and then I started a master's program just because I was honestly doing school year round, um, and so that I think really helped me just progress my career and set myself up, I guess, in that way after uh, my sports career. Did that business degree that you did then flow on to your NFL? career and obviously what you're doing now which we'll touch on later on but does that does that seriously help you out with the foundation from from college yeah I, I definitely believe so I think there's a lot of fundamental uh things I learned that I carry over to to everything I mean just kind of the financial foundation of you know first of all how, how to personally take care of yourself financially and your family but then business wise how you create these business plans around the financial piece of it you know and um, I would say that like my weakness has always been <clears throat> kind of the, the marketing side or creative side. And so I was lucky enough to marry into a very creative and like marketing genius, I call her because I, I love the numbers. I'm analytical, like everything has to make sense for me. I'm very operational, I guess, in that sense. So definitely carried over to, I think, my playing days and, and now uh, just business in general. So you're the CFO. Uh, I won't go that far. I don't think I, I'm not. I'm not the best accountant. I think I understand numbers and I love numbers, but I'm not going to give myself that, that title. No. I find you know your financial guys quite boring, but you're obviously not boring. So yeah, you're definitely a hybrid. You sit in the middle, which is which is fascinating. Um, and then you went to the combine. Talk to me about the combine. Obviously, being an AFL player, X anyway, but we've got a similar thing um, where you go there and you. You just get thrown around to all these groups of, you know, all these clubs that pick apart you and ask you some ridiculous questions. And I'm pretty sure you were injured. You had something wrong with your foot. It was, it was, yeah, it's, it's a meat market like he described it. Um, Isn't it, man? It's crazy. Uh, I had, so I, yeah, I went into the combine. My, actually, my senior year of college ended shortly because I had, or uh, yeah, abruptly in a sense, because I had a Liz Frank sprain, which was basically like a dislocation of your midfoot. So I had screws, uh, a plate put in for six months and I had it removed. But yeah, going to the combine, honestly, being a, a white receiver in the National Football League is an anomaly in a sense on its own. But uh, not being able to, to run the 40-yard dash, and like you said, there's just different things they put you through. They want to see how athletic you are. They want to see how smart you are, uh, see if you have any like mental issues as well. So a lot of testing. Um, and then, yeah, they just kind of pick you apart physically, what you look like, how you act, interview process, they try to break you down, see if, uh, first, you're being honest. Second, if, like I said, if you're crazy or not. And yeah. third, if you can retain information. Because I think what separates guys in the NFL uh, isn't so much the talent. Like, the talent's really good. It's for longevity and to sustain a career. It's, you know, are you consistent? Are you able to retain information and use your use your head? Um, and, and so that was, I think, a big part of, of the combine that made me uh, or set myself up because I couldn't physically do anything, you know, and uh, I had to kind of prove myself through those meetings. Do you feel that because you couldn't physically do anything, you drifted a little bit in the draft or you still went exactly where you thought you went? Um, I think... If I would have proved myself in terms of like running the 40 and, you know, the, I think the MO was, well, I think he's a slower 
And I never ran a 40 throughout my college career because I was playing baseball. And so I believe I could have proved myself to run faster than they thought. And that may have helped me move, you know, move up the charts in a sense. Also being yeah. injured, I think was a red flag. Like, okay, is he going to recover? You know, what's it going to be like in, in a year? Is this going to pay out? So, uh, Truthfully, I was thankful for where I landed, uh, obviously, but I think I could have, yeah, gone up a little bit uh, if I wasn't injured. Um, while we're on the topic, because, you know, I still remember when we went to the draft combine, we had so many interviews and so many funny stories. Do you, do you remember any real weird shit that was going on? Like, did, it, did, it, did you ever have a, I don't know, like one of the coaches ask you something really bizarre? I mean, I've heard many stories myself from other guys uh, with just crazy questions. I personally, I don't know if I just blanked, blanked out or shut it off at that time frame. I don't remember truthfully even who I met with, what some of the conversations were like. I mean, it was just like, honestly, Groundhog Day. You just, yeah. you're going through this cycle and just felt kind of like a machine, just kind of. You know, like I said, just roll. The meat market. I can't, yeah, the meat market. I can't think of of anything. I'm sure there are a few, but not off the top of my head. Yeah. How many interviews do you have? Oh, how many do you have? I think I had about 17 or 18, like, with the whole team. So they had these individual rooms with owner, GM, front office, head coaches, assistant coaches. Uh, and then they also had kind of a bigger room set up with tables and it was position coaches. So three o'clock was receivers and you kind of went from one station to the other uh, in each team to talk to the receiver coach or your position coach. And yeah. so a little bit of both. So I guess with the, with the teams in general, it was like 16 or 17 and then every team as an individual position coach. Uh, yeah. Were you intimidated or you felt like you're quite mature at that point to handle all this? Uh, yeah, I think there was definitely some some anxiousness, some, you know, uh, nervousness. Yeah. But at the same point, I was like, I am who I am. So <laughs> let's, yeah. I was confident in talking football and knowing the X and O's of the game and, and stuff of, of, that, of that nature. Yeah, I'm sure you would have dominated. Um, that's fascinating. It's very similar. Um, and then you obviously, yeah, you get picked up third round, um, if I'm correct. I can't remember the, I can't remember the number, but you uh, you get picked up by the Broncos in what's an amazing draft class. You know, like you, what was it like to be drafted with the guys that you were? Tim Tebow, I think. Demar is Demarius Thomas was your year as well. Who's your partner in crime? He was, yeah. That's, that's, uh, he was the first first pick of Denver that year, and it was yeah, it was awesome. I mean, we came in with such a great draft class, and a lot of guys, you know, played for. A pretty long period of time which you know i think is pretty special when the average career for the nfl is three and a half years being with i guess the, the draft class we had and the longevity that we all had i think it was a pretty special group um demarius is still one of my good friends um tebow i see every once in a while zane beatles jd walton uh cassius vaughn was kind of a few guys from yeah. that group Fascinating. Tim Tebow. Let's touch on Tim Tebow. I don't know a lot about him, but as I was researching, I, to be honest, he's one of the biggest names ever to come through the, I guess, college, but he's probably the, you know, the biggest fall from grace from what I've read. Now, that's out of my mouth, but 
He's obviously got a huge personality. He's in the media. He's doing so well. Um, but what was it like to, you know, I guess, come through the system with him? And and obviously you'll see who, you know, you have the sheriff after him. Well, what what was it that, you know, he, why didn't he progress? What was it? Yeah. You know, Tim is such a good leader, natural leader. Uh, I mean, the guy has so much energy. I think, you know, his work ethic, and he really did change the college game in terms of kind of the run, play action, throwing uh, package that he was. And what didn't translate in the NFL was that the speed is so much faster and you had to be kind of, you had to anticipate things as a quarterback. I mean, he had to get the ball out quick. And that's something he couldn't do, whether it was his throwing motion, whether it was just reading a play and, you know, getting to his third step and just releasing it. Um, those are some things that he struggled with. But look at the year 2011. I mean, he just kind of willed the team to a playoff run because <laughs> I remember games where we were down by like two touchdowns going to the fourth quarter. We had no offense. You know, we threw the ball maybe like eight times a game. And he would find a way to win. Like, honestly, in the last, you know, quarter, last four minutes of the game, he would score a touchdown. We'd get down the field, kick a long field goal, boom, game over. And it's like six or seven times that year we did that. Um, and so I think what the front office saw was it's not a long-term or sustainable success plan because you have to really change everything and mold yeah. the offense around him. And that's hard to do in the NFL unless you have, you know, Lamar Jackson can throw the ball really well. So not that he's that way, but you look at him, Patrick Mahomes, like they, you can modify offenses around them because they are talented, but they can throw the ball just as good as they are on their feet. Um, and so that that was kind of the downfall of his career is we would have three-step drops, they call them. So the quarterback would take three steps. Usually it was a route within seven, eight yards. Well, we had to extend our three-step drops to like 10, 12 yards because it was just a little bit slower for him to release the ball. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. Um, yeah, I remember seeing his playoff game, which is kind of like put it on the map. But yeah, it's um, it's special. Let's talk about 2010, which is your rookie year. I find rookie year, I watch Hard Knocks now, and I just love yeah. when they... Um, they kind of stitch the, the rookies up. They've got to carry the candy. They've got to do all those live shows. Um, what was the memories for you in your rookie year during that preseason um, camp and, uh, and then the year in general? I know that your you, the numbers are probably as small as they get. I guess that's what happens as a rookie. But what was it like? Can you remember much from your rookie year? I sure do, yeah. I remember showing up and, first of all, the first time going to the Broncos facility, it was so surreal. You know, it's, it's been a lifelong dream to be a professional athlete. Early on, I wanted to be a professional baseball player. I wanted to be the next career pucket. But like getting to Denver, seeing the facility, seeing some of the guys, Champ Bailey, Brian Dawkins, these guys that I just grew up watching and idolizing was like, I'm sharing, I'm sharing the locker room with them. And I'm on the same team as them, was, was really, really cool. And, um, I would say the biggest thing from 2010 was not only Josh McDaniels, so the offensive coordinator of the New England Patriots right now, he was the head yeah. coach. He would make the the rookies remember every veteran's name. So you have probably 95 to 100 people on, on a roster during training camp. He's, he'll make you stand up 
and say, all right, who's this guy? Give me what, what college he went to. And if you didn't get it right, 5.30 the next morning, you had to show up and you had to study your roster. So not only are you studying your roster with this extensive playbook that they have, you know, the success they have had for 20 years in New England with Tom Brady, that was the offense we had. So trying to do that as a rookie and then learning every guy's name and what college they went to was intimidating. And so I can't tell you how many 5.30s I had along with my other rookie classmates, but it was, you know, it was definitely a, a welcoming visit um, to, to know that like, okay, you better respect your elders, you better show up and do your work and keep your mouth shut. That was kind of the mentality of, of my rookie year. And um, I appreciate that in the sense that, you know, especially if you're a draft pick and you feel like, oh, well, my roster spot's kind of protected. I won't, you know, be concerned about losing a job. Well, that wasn't the case at all either with Josh McDaniels. Every week, yeah. he would bring in two new guys and release two two guys. And I think some of it was just to keep the pressure on some of the veteran yeah. players. And there was one time where this fifth-round draft pick of our class got released. And it was like, wow, I mean, you aren't, <laughs> you aren't saved. doesn't matter how much guaranteed money you have. Like, he'll get rid of you if you don't fit the mold. So that was uh, – Definitely kind of a, an eye opener um, for me. And also, I think on the field, going against Champ Bailey was a lot different than an Iowa Hawkeye cornerback or a Wisconsin Badgers. And look who, yeah. look who it is. Hey, Forrest, how are you, buddy? <laughs> He's just working out. That is busy right now. I thought, why don't you have school? You want to go to school? Slept in. He's like me. I used to sleep in as well. This kid. Well, he was up, we were up at 5.30 this morning because he was mad at me for not letting him watch a movie last night. Oh, wow. Woke up, that's the first thing he said. You didn't let me watch a movie. <laughs> that's great. What movie did you watch? What movie was it? Uh, what movie? Well, we watched The Little Clifford last night, but what did you want to watch last night? He's in a superhero, so. How old are you, Forrest, now? Tell him, how old are you? Two? Is it two? Three? Three. Wow. All right. Give Dan a little bit. Okay. I'll, I'll be up. I watched um I watched another potty that you did, and you said that Forrest is, he's a, he's the man. He's just like a wrecking ball. Is that is that what you? He's a wild child and a force to be reckoned with. I mean, right. they talk about like terrible twos. Honestly, it's when the kids go through the threes are some of the hardest years because he's smart enough, so he's resilient in how he, you know, takes orders and yeah. listens. But he definitely uh he definitely is a tough cookie for being the third one. He just he's gotta fit in, so Yeah. He's figuring yeah. it out. Ah, oh, it's great man. It's great. Now you've got a beautiful family and on one of three. Three's a good effort, especially we'll talk about later on with um with everything you got going on in life. But um yeah, back to like the rookie, I guess this I mean all that stuff, remembering the names. I find it fascinating how cutthroat the NFL is. Like you said, like that guy that got cut, why did he get cut? Is it like an obvious thing or is it just literally like, I'm not liking the way he's moving. Let's get rid of him. Yeah, I think his performance, like wasn't performing well. Maybe he wasn't putting in the effort outside of the practice times. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's, it's attitude problems or cultural, you know, misfits, but... Yeah. I think this one was just performance. And, you know, it's like, all right, well, if you can't be consistent 
in practice, I can't rely on you in a game. See ya. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it, man. That is, um, that's, that's fascinating. Thanks for sharing that. That is, that's crazy. It's funny because in our sport, we always used to laugh that the older guys, or from, I don't know, maybe the same in yours, but the older guys wouldn't really remember your name until you started performing or doing something. So you kind of, you know, you're trying to get, imp- you're trying to impress them. But realistically, until you play a game and you put your body on the line, they kind of don't really look at you until until that happens. So exactly. uh, it's it's very similar. But yeah, 90 guys' names in a playbook like yours is crazy. Um, 2000 and 2011, things start obviously heating up for you. Your numbers um, for everyone listening, but 44 catches, 612 yards and eight touchdowns. The touchdown beast starts to get rolling. Um, what was that like? Did you start to think, hey, I'm, I'm starting to arrive. Um, I know that this is where I should belong. And what, what was going through your, your mind, I guess, with your mindset? Yeah, I, I think that was a good year for me because I, I felt healthy finally. You know, even 2010, I was kind of lingered with the, with the foot injury and trying to heal and, and get myself kind of at, at full force. And the off season of 2010 leading to 2011, you know, I finally had my feet under me, got to you know, get out there and practice a lot more. I still was limited, again, leading up to the year of 2010 and didn't play a lot through the year, special teams, uh, some games towards the end on offense. But 2011, so Kyle Orton was our quarterback and we were on a roll together. I mean, I think I had six or seven of those touchdowns in the first eight weeks. Um, yeah, that's cool. And then they, you know, Benched Kyle Orton, brought in Tim Tebow, and the offense kind of flipped to a more running style uh, game. But it was, it, it was, it was, yeah. To your point, like great to kind of build that confidence. Like, okay, I can play. You know, I can line up against these guys and and score touchdowns, get catches, and do it game after game. And so that was, I think, a good building block to my career. Yeah, it must suck, man. Like as such a good receiver when they start just running the ball. Like, you know, when you go to the huddle and they say we're going to run it, well, <laughs> you know, you, you boys go out wide and you got to, what I'm saying, you got to really run your route as if you're going to receive it, but you know that you're not getting it. That must be frustrating as a receiver. Well, I'll give you an example. So there was a game, uh, let's see. Yeah, it's 2011 versus Kansas City at Kansas City. This is the game we threw the ball eight times and completed it three times. And that, that doesn't happen in the NFL. You usually throw on the ball at least 20 times a game. And we'd be on the sideline, and our coach would come up to me and Demarius Thomas and say, hey, guys, next series, we're going to get you the ball. Next series, we'll try to get you the ball. It kept being the same conversation because all we were doing was crack blocking. So basically we were running at the safety who was running full speed to make a tackle, and throwing our body in front of them. Every play, like I'm telling you, 60 probably plays like that. And so we were, we were basically extended linemen, you know, <laughs> as receivers at that, at that point. And just, it is tough. It's like, man, you know what? I just want to run around and catch the ball. That's, that's, that's what I like to do. And so there's moments definitely where it's like, what are we getting ourselves into? And then during the week um, from because this is why I find so fascinating the way that the team is structured and you're all split into the receivers. But as a receiving corp, you'd go in and have your meeting. But when you're running the ball three, like, sorry, you're passing the ball three times, like, what are you talking about? Yeah, not much. It's a pretty short meeting. 
don't have yeah. a, you know maybe how to block i guess is more of the conversation at that point is there frustration from your head like your receivers coach to the offensive coordinator saying fucking throw the ball or well to a point yeah but we also know that we're it, it's not our strength so we're trying to play to the strength of the quarterback and, and really our, our offense at that time and we had such a good defense that we thought, okay, well, if we played the ball control game, meaning hold, holding on to it as long as we could to keep it out of the other team's hands, we'd be fine because we didn't have to score many points because our defense would, would hold the other team. Yeah. And so that, I think that was kind of the mentality as well. Is like, all right, we're not as consistent throwing the ball. Let's just run the ball, keep the clock running, and see what happens at the end of the game, which, like I said, Tebow finds a way to – bring us to a victory yeah it's that's man i'm just started getting like i'm heavily involved in the fantasy we, we play fantasy down here all the all the boys and um i hate games like that man <laughs> and i like wake up early and what if i watch a game where they just run it i just lose my mind it's just it's just boring it's just boring to watch it's so boring yeah. um all right well oh well i don't really understand i didn't i, I looked up but like so did tebow did they trade tebow they cut him because the sheriff rocks up, but like, how did he rock up? Did they did they say it's time to move on? We need we need something else. Yeah, they so they signed Peyton, and then they moved Tebow through a trade to New York, the Jets, and I'm not sure what they got uh, for it. I think like a sixth round draft pick or a fifth round draft pick, something. They got a draft pick for moving him to to New York. Uh, yeah, when the sheriff came to town. So when the sheriff comes into town, especially you and your boy Demarius, what like like where did you see it? Did it pop up on the news? When did you find out, and how excited were you to have someone like the sheriff roll in? So my receiver coach um, at the time, who became our offensive coordinator, called me. Uh, forget what month it was. It was the off season, and said, "Hey, I need you to come to the facility right now." I'm like, "Hey, why? What's up?" He goes, "Peyton Manning's here. You guys need to." introduce yourselves and I was like what oh I'm like okay and there was a little buzz in terms of what teams were after him I think San Francisco at the time um there's no another team as well that was kind of heavily after him and Denver was in the discussions but not as heavily and so I was like wow this, this is real so I pull up there's media out there kind of waiting they're trying to figure out like what are you doing because I don't think they knew he was in the building and yeah. walk in it's like, that's Peyton Manning. It's like, holy shit. Uh, and introduce myself. And I've come to find out that, you know, I think Denver was a, an attractive place for him because we had a really good left tackle at the time. So that's kind of his blind spot. So he knew he felt protected. He just had a major neck surgery. He didn't want to get hit a lot, you know, in the pocket. So he wanted to make sure his offensive line was solid. And also, I think having a, a young uh, receiving core that I think was – was hungry, was good, was another attractive point to him, which, you know, is really cool to know now that that was where, you know, me and Demarius were one of the reasons why he came to Denver. Um, and, I mean, just once he signed, I mean, just it happened so fast. Honestly, I think he showed up and he's like, to the practice field, let's go. And, and he's a guy that just worked. I mean, we worked. We worked between uh, – meetings we worked between periods in practice we worked in the off season and he was one of those guys that did it the right way and you know i'm thankful to, to have been around and 
really appreciated the game more for it. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I love it. And he sounds like, we'll talk about him in depth soon because I, I, I think he's fucking hilarious. I, I find him so funny, man. I, I've missed, I missed most of his career. Um, I got the back end a bit like, you know, yourself, but he is so funny, man. And I didn't realize how good he was until obviously, you know, he's, he's one of the goats, but, um, how important is it to train? Like when you said you're training in between meetings and, and, you know, off the field, are you talking about like doing extra reps? Are you talking about watching film? Like what exactly are you doing? Yeah. A combination of it all. So when we're on the field, and a lot of our practices, probably some of yours, was, there's periods. So it'd be certain things that you would practice. We'd start with individuals, meaning receiver drills, get warmed up, get your, get your hands ready to go, and then go into like uh, more seven-on-seven. Seven. So it's more just route running against the defense. And then you go into team periods where it's 11-on-11 11 11, practicing you know, both your, your strategies. And so as – uh, we, we would play against the number two defense as the number one defense would play against the number two offense. So when we were on a break, we'd be on other field running routes, walking through a whole bunch of stuff. Because when you're at the line of scrimmage with Peyton Manning, it's not just what play was called in the huddle. He could give you a signal. He could change the whole play. There's a lot of things going on. So being able to react quick was important. And so those are the things that we'd work on uh, on the practice field, and then yeah, in the you know between meetings, I say it's it's film. It's like okay, well, see how this guy is running this router, see the you know the the safety and what he's doing, or where the hole, the void is in the zone. A lot of different you know just cerebral things that would help you get to the right spot because he was a guy that was getting the ball out quick, and if you're not in the right spot at the right time, you will not play. So that was key for him to be able to trust that you knew what he was thinking yeah give me an in, give me um I, i'm so fascinated by the, like the huddle right so he comes in if he's calling three or four plays obviously canceling them and changing audibles all that kind of stuff what's he saying and what's he doing as a signal to you if you're out wide so for a while we had we called it a value menu and it was one through ten and they all had names as well but he would basically say you know like ice cream was uh, basically no no uh no snap there's all these different terms for ice cream turtle all these things that would say hey turtle 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 ice cream ice cream ice cream was no snap so he'd be up there and be like you know mike check 52 and he just try to get the line you know the defensive yeah, line jump yeah, yeah. or he want them to kind of you know a lot of, a lot of post snap adjustments from the defense to try to hide what they're doing because that's why peyton was so good and so he'd get them to like show their cars in a sense. And then he'd go, okay. Then he'd signal. We had a lot of signals, you know, like Jose, Jose, or, uh, God, I mean, let's see, like, like an under route, like just a lot of different things. He would give you signals for the most part of what we do. And then boom, we'd run. Or if we wanted to play fast, because in Denver with the altitude, we would just wear people out. Like we, we just go, 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 go. And you would see the defense alignment or gas linebackers. And that's how we would, put up all the points and I think which is great it's yeah. great to watch we still have all those records I mean we have the most touchdowns most passing yards you know uh most guys combined five guys that had 10 plus touchdowns I mean we were we were a machine that year in 2000 
2013, yeah. Um, you guys were machines. Let's, let's go your numbers. 2012, the sheriff does arrive. Um, and you go 85, you have 1,064 yards and 13 touchdowns. Like, that's massive, man. Um, clearly, what, how many, was Demarius the same? I didn't look at his numbers, but he would have been right up there as well. Yeah, yeah, I think um, he was right at like 11, 10 or 11 that year. And then yeah. he, he had like 14 the next. Yeah, you guys swapped. You guys swapped. What um, I find, so when you get to when you get to the red zone because it's such a TD base, clearly the opposition know they're going. Well, they know where they they know who it's going to. What I found when I watched the tape and watched your highlights, you're just so consistent with your route running, but your strength, and you always took the ball clean. Like I didn't see many drops. Is Peyton just kind of look at you and say, "I'm going to throw it to you, just fucking get open," or what? What's What's, especially when you're isolated, like a 1v1, he's here going, I'll back you in, I'm going to put it here, you get it. So situational football is like red zone, in the red zone and third downs. And a lot of those plays were scripted in the sense like the coaches, Peyton himself, uh, many things that we found out through practice were on this short list. So when you got down to the 10-yard line, you had four or five plays to pick from. When you got to the five-yard line, same thing. And, you know, basically that was 25 yards and in. And so you you kind of get to the point where he, he wants to spread it out to everyone, but you, you know what your strengths are. And so it's a lot tighter, it's confined. You know, you don't have the ability to run over the defense. So you got to be able to have good routes. And that was, that was my strength. So I think I succeeded more there because I was precise with the route running and I understood how to set guys up or, you know, really dictating what coverages they're, they're playing and knowing where, like I said, the zones are or the soft spots. Um, but there was times, too, he gets to the line and they may show, like, an all-out blitz and he'd be like, all right, just run this. And we always had combination routes, whether it was a little pick or a rub or just a fade. And those things also, I mean, we just, every day, just worked on, worked on, worked on, just period after period. And, and so we got so efficient with it that we knew this is the route. Okay, let's go and, and, and execute it. And, and we were pretty efficient. So efficient, really efficient. Before we go to the next year, because it's a huge year, but what I've heard so much about Peyton and his leadership, and I, I heard the key word was relationships, uh, which I love because I, I, I think that's so important. What would he do off field for the group uh, not only for the receivers, but the whole group. What are the, some of the things that you found that he would do to bring the group together? What's fascinating about Peyton is that, I mean, he could meet a thousand people and he honestly would remember everyone's name. And he was very personable at lunch uh, or dinner at that sake of the facility. He would sit by a different group or, you know, different guy, have a conversation, get to know him personally, uh, ask questions. You know, some simple things you feel like, but, you know, not everyone does it. They kind of get in their little cliques or sit at the same table because being athletes are kind of creatures of habit. But he'd go around and he'd build those relationships. And I think that speaks volumes to his leadership because that's how you build trust. That's how people value and want to, you know, go to war in a sense or battle with you is I trust this guy. He's in my corner. Let's go and. Uh, that was huge. And then, you know, outside of that, we, we would do smaller groups, dinners, uh, and kind of see his true colors outside of football. Because when you get between the lines with Peyton Manning, he is the general. He is just 
everything is for a purpose. Outside the lines, in the locker room, at dinner, I mean, like you said, he's got some of the driest humor I've been around. And his timing's really good. Obviously, why he's had so much success with his commercials um, and his TV personality. And so it was, it was really, really cool. You know, the amount of success he had, just kind of the, the simple-natured Southern gentleman he was. And uh, really, really enjoyed spending time with him. Yeah, he sounds like a, a great man. Would love to meet him. Um, going into, oh, actually 2012, and this is why I shouldn't be wearing this top because I didn't realize, man, yeah. dude, like, do, do you think, looking back now, that 2012, I don't know, this is a quote, but was, was 2012's list better than 2013? Did you think 2012 was, the, that was the opportunity, even though you did go to the Super Bowl? Was that, was that it? Yeah, I think that, I think that was, we had the, the better team that year than, than it. Seattle was so dominating defensively in 2013 that, I mean, we made a lot of mistakes in the Super Bowl, but they were a really good football team. And I think 2012 was our opportunity to win it, to be to be truthful. I mean, a Hail Mary at the end of the game, I mean, the odds were like 98, 99% in our favor of the game being over and moving on. And just a really bad play by our safety and they ended up scoring a touchdown going overtime and we lost and so that was heartbreaking and that was i, I feel like the year i could have got a ring because uh, yeah. I, I didn't the next year yeah because well, i didn't realize but you won you only lost three games during the regular season you won like 10 or 11 in a row and then leading yeah. into into the playoffs which was the first game i was like one and done but yeah far out man it's um it is devastating looking back. Um, fuck, you were so close. And then you, so then what goes through your mind in preseason, off season? So off season more so. You're obviously, so dog hungry for that ring. You got so close. What are you and Peyton, Demarius, the whole team? What's the like? What are you working on? Yeah, I think it's important to kind of get away from it for a little bit and recharge the batteries, kind of heal up physically in a sense, and then just get back to the grind. I mean, every year is different. The team changes, right? I mean, some guys leave, some guys get cut, new guys come in, and it's forming kind of what that team's going to look like and the identity of it the next year. But um, I think there was a lot of, you know, excitement about the potential as well going into the offseason, thinking, all right, well, if this is what we could have done on our first year, you know, just think of what we can do in the next year to build off that. And, and so, you know, we go to uh, – Duke University and do these workouts and it's just business as usual just get out there running through our stuff leading up to the off season uh, or training camp and that, that was kind of the mentality it was just like let's zone in we know what we can do let's just get after it when you say off season because um, our sport's different so like in AFL our sport's well it's, it's hard, man. Like, you're running 15Ks a game. You've got to be quick, agility-wise, playing defense, offense, depending on your positions, like key positions, um, more physical and contested. But um, we've got a lot of endurance. So I'd imagine, like, what, what would an off-season program look for you as a wide receiver? Yeah, it, it was so definitely a, a mix of, of everything. So beginning of the off-season, kind of building up the cardio part of it 
building up the endurance so you can every day just go out and just run. Um, we never ran as much as you guys, but we definitely run a lot, you know, through a span of a week. And then towards the middle half to leading up to camp was kind of the strength building, trying to put some muscle mass on to be able to sustain kind of the 17-week season um, and the hits and the physicality of the game. Because during the season, it was more about maintaining, you know, like you'd have your bumps and bruises and you'd try to, try to keep your weight on, your strength up, again, just for the long haul. But I would say a lot of the endurance part definitely came early to kind of build that up. And there's different facets to it. So we would take a few months off. We'd report in April. And from April to August, we'd have really, I guess, April to July have our workout, summer workout, and then have three weeks off and then start training camp. So that was kind of the team phase of building for the next year. Are you boxing? Is it running? Is it is it stairs? Like, is it just anything that's cardio? What do you? It's a combination of a lot of stuff. Yeah, I mean, there was uh, for for like endurance wise. I mean, it was running hills. It was, um, you know, more so just on the field. So whether it was, you know, hundred yard sprints, doing, you know, a set of those, like fifteen of those with a with a minimum break and. And then obviously the, the workout stuff afterwards, but uh, I wouldn't say we did anything crazy in terms of like incorporating boxing or incorporating any kind of other endurance type stuff as more football related or running. Which is good. And then um, before we start 2013, talk to me about um, preseason camp. Like the, the, the two weeks of just... Is it? I mean, is it hell or do you like it? Like, no, I hate it. It looks it looks terrible, man. Like, it looks like they cram what I think a block of two months work into two weeks. Everyone, I think, dreaded training camp. I mean, this is this is like they wanted to see how tough you were. They wanted to try to break you. I mean, it was kind of military thought process in terms of okay, the strongest or the strongest fit survive. And so, I mean, it was obviously the reason to practice what our plays were and, and get it, you know, uh, I guess conditioned in that sense for games, but for sure they, they would try to break you. And not only that, but it was, you wake up at seven in the morning and you don't go back to the hotel till nine o'clock at night. And you got a little break after lunch to take like a, a cat nap, but just the long day, day after day would just, you know, kind of wear on you. Yeah, man, that's, it looks hectic. It looks so like just cause, just knowing what a preseason looks like for us and then to be able to concentrate with all your plays and all that kind of stuff must be must be so hard. Okay, quick timeout. Half time, half time. It's half time, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you really like that. We just start to heat up now, so plenty more to come. One more episode of Eric Decker. Before I go, huge shout out to Cap Z. How good are they? I just got two sent to me. They've got everything you need as a sports fan. NBA is up and about. Make sure you check it out. Black Friday sales are on. Ricks are going hard. Cap Z is going hard. Check it out. And I'll see you next week. Good on you.